Well, like I said this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue our series on the culture of Living Hope Family Church, who we are as a church. Now, last week we talked about we are a church who, who, who replicate and we multiply. We want to make sure that we're investing in people's lives. So like we said, if you're, a, if you're on the worship team, you should be raising up other worship team leaders. As a pastor, I'm called to raise up disciples and other pastors because we want to send out and plant churches. And no matter what we're doing, what ministry, we're supposed to be replicating and multiplying as a church. And part of that is we need to be replicating and multiplying other Christians as well. We need to be sharing our faith, the gospel, with others. And this morning, as I, I called that we're a people who share the gospel, but I could have entitled it that we're, we're a people who love, or more specifically, we're a people that have a heart for the lost. Because that's what we're here for, church. That's, that's the purpose of the church, is to reach others, to share the gospel. And the reality is, is that as Christians, with all that is happening in the world, it's very easy to want to just walk away. I mean, just this weekend, we had uh, somebody walk into to a nightclub, and, and, and I think I was just reading the article with, with uh, Hector this morning, and there was 50 dead on the scene. There's 56 in the hospital right now. Most of them are in critical condition. And uh, we're seeing violence on a scale that we've never seen before. Schools are getting shot up. Kids are, are being abducted. The, slave, or the, the sex trade is rampant right now. There's all, I mean, when we look at this world, it is a mess. And it's, it's, it's easy to just want to just walk away. Like, we look at this, and why would we want to, to care about? Why would we want to love? Why would we want to pray for some of these people when it seems like they don't deserve it? How can anybody love a people who would treat women or children or other people that way? And unfortunately, we're not immune to people. I mean, we see this going on. We're not immune. We're not just because we're Christians. It doesn't mean we don't have feelings. It doesn't mean that we don't see things the way that other people do. But we have to be careful to recognize the difference between the sin and the sinner. And recognize that we can hate that stuff that's going on. And as a church, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to see these people. You know, the funny thing is, or I guess not funny, but the interesting thing is, <laughs> I just pulled a Joseph. But the, the interesting thing is, is that this weekend, that was, that was a nightclub, there was a gay nightclub that was shot up. And I, I bet you there's some Christians, so-called Christians right now, thinking, oh, that was a good thing. But it wasn't. Those were people that God loved. They were deceived. They were walking in a path that they shouldn't have, but God still loved them and he cared for them. And the truth is, is there was redemption available for them just like it was for any of us in this room. There was a news story not too long ago about a landlord found the skeletal remains of a three-year-old boy in a box where the parents had kept him locked up and didn't feed him, and he died. And I remember reading that and just feeling like an anger inside of my heart that somebody would do something like that. And it's easy to feel anger for all the kids getting shot up in schools. And, and anger, righteous anger, is not a sin. It's okay to be angry at these things. This is stuff the devil is enacting in this world, and it's okay to be angry at it. And the reality is, is in today's society, we continue to push God out of everything. God's not welcome uh, culturally in the United States anymore. So the question is, why should we even care for people that don't even care about themselves? They don't even care for their own eternity. And we can even use, you guys know the, the scripture in Matthew, Matthew 7, 6, it says to not cast your, your pearls before swine. We can actually even use that as an excuse. Like, oh, they don't, they don't want to hear. But the truth is, is that... that you know, we're not to, to sit and waste our time spinning our wheels, but it doesn't mean we don't pray for people. 
that are rejecting the gospel. It doesn't mean we don't still care for them and, and love them. And as a church, that's the culture of who we are as a church. That's why we're here is, is to love and care about people who, from an earthly perspective, don't deserve to be loved. You know, they were just like you and I who didn't deserve to be loved, but God did it anyway. And there are even those who would, who would hurt us individually. That's even hard. I mean, why would we want to pray for them who would hurt us, especially when they do it intentionally? There's a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's actually the same guy that, that wrote the book that we're going over on our Wednesday nights with Joseph. Um, he wrote a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And what he was saying in it, and, and over the last few years, they're learning that businesses are finally starting to realize they can't continue to do things that the way that they've been doing them if they want to succeed in business. And they have to start recognizing the value of their customers. And we're seeing that more and more as customers are look, looking after. One of the biggest examples of it is Best Buy. Anybody shop at Best Buy? I'm a, I'm a tech nerd. I love Best Buy, that place. But I used to not because they were going through a season when, when they didn't care about their customers. They thought that, that, that somehow that they were doing me a favor by being there and forgot that the reason they're there is for customers to come in and shop. And they, they recently have had their eyes open. And now they, they, you go in there and, and they take care of you. Their return policies are amazing now. They will price match Amazon and, and Newegg and, and all these online retailers, which was unheard of before, that, because they're starting to realize if we don't take care of our customers, if we don't do something different, we're going to lose them all. And you see that. I mean, there's places like Blockbuster. It didn't change with the times. They didn't do something to make sure that they would stay where they were, and, and they no longer exist anymore. Businesses are starting to realize the only reason they exist is for their customers. And they have to make them a priority. And I believe that's applicable to the church today. We have to remember why we exist. It is part of who we are. It's in our DNA to be that we're here to reach the lost. That is our purpose. Our purpose is not for, for super cool programs and, and youth programs and Bible studies and the, the events that we get together. That's all important. We need to be together as a family. But our ultimate purpose as a church is to reach the lost. Particularly, our vision is, is in, in here at Living with Family Church Morana is to reach the city of Morana. We want to plant other churches so that we can have a larger sphere of influence. We want to send them out. But that's our purpose is to reach this world. And, and I think part of that is to understand how valuable people really are. The truth is, evangelizing is not easy. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things for me to do, I'll be honest with you. I, I find it much easier to get up and, and speak to all of you than, than to, to knock on somebody's door. Every time I've gone out to knock on doors, every, you would think after doing it a while, it, it would, I would lose that fear, but I don't every time. I, and I know it's, it's not true. I know when I knock on the door, they're not going to come out and start cussing at me and push me down. Or, but every time, like, that's what goes through my head. And I'm, I'm up there and, you know, I look tough on the outside, but on the inside, I'm, I'm trembling and I peed a little bit, I think, and, and I'm terrified. It's hard. Evangelizing is hard. Speaking to people is hard, especially when it seems like culturally that nobody wants to hear what we have to say. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But I think something that will help you make it easier is to recognize the value of the people that we're speaking to, that we're sharing with. There was once a guy who was two guys standing at a urinal and they're using the restroom and, and out of the one guy's pocket, a $5 bill falls out of his pocket and lands in the urinal. And the guy looks at him and says, what are you going to do now? So he pulled out a 50 and he threw the 50 in there with it. And then he reached in and grabbed them both out. And he says, what would you do that for? He goes, well, I wasn't going to stick my hand in there for five bucks. See, we have to understand 
you know, if we see people as invaluable, then we might not want to stick our hand in the urinal of life, basically. But if we realize how valuable they really are, it will be easier to get out there and minister to them. And that's what it boils down to is we've been called to the Great Commission. In today's churches, it's often referred to as the Great Omission. But it's not. It's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One, we see that this is our commandment is to go out and to make disciples, to share the gospel with people. And the good news is, is God, Jesus didn't say, go and do it and leave us with nothing. But he says, all authority has been given to me. And he says, and I'm commanding you to go therefore. That means that his authority has been transferred to us. And we recognize that Jesus gets his authority from God, whom there is nothing higher. There's no authority higher than God. And Jesus gives his authority from, from God, the Father. And then he gives that same authority to us. That means that we, when we go out, as amb- we're ambassadors of Christ. We go out with the same power and authority that he had. So we can look at what he did, and we have the same rights to do what he did. And he went out there, and he healed the sick. And he casted out demons, and he taught people, and he forgave sins. Now, we don't have the authority to forgive sins. That's God's alone. But we have the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, which has been done in Jesus already. And we can proclaim that to people. We can let people know. That's, that's the, what it boils down to. And the, the, the good news is you've been forgiven and you've been given a new life. And we all see that we're not called to make converts. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not make converts. Not get people to come up and have an emotional experience at the front row for, for, for two minutes and, and give their life and then go right back to where they were. We're there to, to, to lead them to that point and then invest in them, to build them up, to, to, to like we said earlier, last week, we replicate into them, we teach them, we invest into them. And we're called to make disciples, not converts. And being a disciple is just like being an apprentice. I think that's the best thing that we see today. And I know Joseph, who's a, who's a carpenter, and in the carpenter's union, they have apprentices still. And they, basically, they, they, they work alongside people, and they learn from them, and they teach them. And that's, that's what we're called to do as, as disciples, is to walk alongside people and learn from them. But we're also called to do that to others, to let them walk alongside us, to help them grow. So that they're not, that they're not young, that they're not able to be swayed by any wind of doctrine, but instead we instill in them sound teaching. And this must have been a, a tough time for them. It must have appeared to the, to the apostles like Jesus was leaving forever. But we know that the reason he left is so he could send the helper, which is what gave them power to reach where they're at. And the last argument that I hear from stuff like this is, oh no, Jesus wasn't talking to us, he was talking to the apostles, the twelve who were there. But the reality is, if that's the argument you want to make, then why is it we see other disciples doing the same thing. We talked a little bit about them last week, right? Stephen and Philip. And they were out there. They were working in power. They were performing signs and wonders and miracles. And people were getting saved. And demons were being cast out. And they weren't one of the twelve. They weren't right here when Jesus gave this commission. This is to all of us to go out into the world and share the gospel and make disciples. And Jesus has given us authority and power to do so. You would think just hearing that, that would wipe all fear away when I go and knock on a door. But that's what I have to do is remind myself that, that 
what I'm doing is for a purpose, for a reason. What if nobody would have came and did it to me? What if nobody would have had enough boldness to walk up to me and say, hey, no, there's something more for you, that you don't have to be where you are now. You can be changed. You can be different. It doesn't have to stay this way. There's hope for you. What if somebody wouldn't have done that to me? And the truth is, in my life, plenty of people did that to me on multiple occasions, and I, I rejected them over and over and over and over again, but somebody kept coming back. And eventually, I got it through my thick skull because they didn't give up. In Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You guys know what a witness is? It's someone who recounts what they've seen. They give evidence for what has gone on. And in today's legal system, they provide proof or evidence in a court of law. In this world, we are God's witnesses. We are his witnesses that he is good. We are his witnesses that he saves. We are his witness that he loves. When people see you, they should see God's work inside of you as you give evidence to what he is accomplishing in you in this world. We are the evidence that God is real. If you ever want uh, to, to have a curiousness, is God real? Can you really do what he said? You should, should have known me before. Be thankful that you didn't. But God did a work in me. And something that I find interesting about this phrase is he doesn't say, you will go into the world and witness. He said, you will be witnesses. And now that's not to say, we need to go out there and open our mouths from time to time. So we need to share with people. But he also says, you will be my witness. That means we just have to, part of it is just being it. That means when you're in your workplace, they should see God in you without you having to say a word. What am I doing? Just hitting the button like crazy over here? We're still right here. Sorry. But we, we should be able to, to, to win the world without saying a word. They should see his love inside of us. They should see that we treat people differently, that we have a different work ethic than everybody else, that, that we see them differently. We are to be his witness as well as give a witness about him. Amen? And then he says that we're to do that in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem was their hometown. That means that for us, this is Marana. You will be my witness in Marana. And in Judea and Samaria, this is his region. That's like saying you'll be my, my witness in Arizona or the United States. And then he says, and to the end of the earth. Just in case you thought there were some areas that you weren't supposed to be a witness, this pretty much covers it all. You are God's ambassador. And the truth is, we may not individually touch all of these places. As a church, we're, in, we're investing in some work that's being done in uh, Kurdistan of Iraq and different missionaries. So we're, we have a sphere of movement that's touching those areas. And individually, as we give into that, that's, that's how we're doing that. We may not reach all these places individually, but we all have areas that we can invest into. Or maybe one day, you, you're going to go and plant a church somewhere. Maybe someday you're going to do some missionary work somewhere. You're going you're to be a witness elsewhere. And it's our responsibility to do those things. Amen? 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are not peddling the word of God. This is not something for for our benefit per se, it's not something that we're not, we're not snake oil salesmen. When we are sharing the gospel, we're not 
We're not trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Lord knows we're not trying to, to, to steal their money or to get everything from them. We're not trying to, to trick them somehow. We want to share life with them. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. And this is what we believe. And that's why we share the gospel with people because it is so, such an incredible thing that we have. See, Paul here was defending his ministry. He says, he says, I'm not adjusting my message just for the sake of those who would hear it. I'm not adjusting my, I'm going to bring them the truth. I'm going to tell them, and I'm not going to water it down. And we see that a lot of times in big ministries today, and it's actually really easy to get caught up and begin to want to adjust things to make people happy, to tickle their ears. But the truth is, is that that's not what we're doing. We're sharing the truth of the gospel as it is. We're not, we're not, it's good enough as it is. We don't have to change it. Our motivation is to to be able to share life with people because there's people that have no life. And what we have to share is, like I said, it's good as it is. We don't have to change it. We don't have to water it down. We don't have to make it different. It is the power to change lives. Amen? And some of you are going to say, but it's not my calling. I remember saying this at one time. I'm not an evangelist. It's not my calling. I'm supposed to be doing something else. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm supposed to be on the worship team. Or I'm supposed to be in the health. I know my calling, my gift is hospitality. No, it doesn't matter if it's your calling or not. This is what, this is what Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.5, it says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I don't think that Timothy's gift was evangelism. I don't believe that evangelism is my gift. That's not what I'm called to be as an evangelist. I'm called to be a pastor and to teach. God has gifted me to teach, I believe. But I'm not a a gifted evangelist, but you know what? I still got to do that work. That is still all of our responsibility. Do the work of an evangelist. Soul winning is the core of all that we do. It's the purpose of the church. And the reality is, is it's... It should drive us for everything. I mean, when you have, if you were to win the lottery, you would tell everybody about it. You would share it with everybody. But you've done so much more than win the lottery. You've been passed from death into life. Your sins have been removed from you. You've been made brand new. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 17 that you were a new creation. You have been made brand new. You're not who you were. And it's not just for you, it's for. Why would we not share that with people? Why would we bury that? I remember when I used to work in a restaurant and you'd ask people for help. I got so frustrated when people were like, oh, but that's, that's not my job. Anybody ever worked for something that's like that? Like, no, that's not my job. I can't help you there. Well, guess what? Evangelism, it's all your jobs. You can't use that excuse. And then he says, always be sober-minded. That means that we need to take this stuff seriously. We need to take our ministry seriously. Be sober-minded. I mean, don't, don't, don't take it flippantly. Don't take it uh, to be serious about it. And then he says, endure suffering. That means that sometimes it might be tough. Sometimes it might be hard. Sometimes you might be terrified to knock on someone's door or to, to take that step and, and just say, hey, do you know that Jesus loves you? Has anybody ever told you that God loves you and He has a plan for your life? So many times I've ignored the Holy Spirit speaking into my ear when I'm, I'm standing at, the, at a checkout register and there's a gas station person working there and 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 I, I know what i feel god's saying ask them and i look around i'm like but somebody could walk in what if they see me what if they point and laugh 
So many times I've, I've ignored what God's asked me to do. But the truth is, is that that's what we're called to do, is to share. And, and the reality is, when it says endure suffering, I mean, here in the United States, we've got the, uh, the whole first world problem thing going on. I mean, when we don't have a cell phone signal, man, it's rough. My internet's slow. What am I going to do? You know, back then, they had to, they had to do some, some serious suffering. Even if you just go to some of these other third world countries and just do some missionary work, you'll realize how good we actually have it. How awesome it really is here. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. This is really an easy one. Fulfilling your ministry is so much easier than you might imagine. And here's how you do it. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You can write this down. It's going to help you fulfill your ministry. Just be obedient and keep moving forward. You might make mistakes. You might mess up. Get back up. Be obedient to God and keep moving forward. Fulfilling your ministry, I think, many times is just about being stubborn enough to, to do what God called you to do. Amen? And the good news is, is Jesus showed us how to do all this stuff. Jesus was our example. In John 5.19 it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So here we find out that one, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus only did what the Father did. So if you saw Jesus do it, it was the will of God. This morning I prayed, thank you for making your will clear to me. And some of you guys might have said, wow, I don't know if God's will is really clear to me. It seems kind of, it's kind of strange. But the reality is, is that we know what the will of God is just by looking at Jesus' life. Because if Jesus did it, it was the will of God. If he didn't do it, then it wasn't the will of God. And Jesus gave us the example of how to go out there and make an impact in this world. How to, to share with people, how to reach people. One of the things that you'll hear people say oftentimes, and it drives me absolutely bonkers, and they say God works in mysterious ways. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. The mystery has been made known to us. I believe it's in Hebrews when it talks about the mystery. It was a mystery, but it's been made known to us what God's will is. It's not a mystery anymore. God loves us. He wants us healed. He wants us whole. And He wants us in heaven with Him. That's the will of God. And He says... Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing so we can look at Jesus' life and see how God feels for us. You know, when we look at, at Jesus, you never once did, did, did someone come up to, to Jesus for healing and he say, you know, I want to heal you, but there's this one area in your life you need to work on first. You get this straightened out, come back to me, see me in a week, and then maybe we'll see about healing you. Every time someone came to Jesus, he took care of them. He healed them. He touched them. He worked in their life. He never rejected anyone. Because the requirement wasn't what they did in their life. The requirement has always been and will always be that you go to Him. That you put your trust in Him. That you rely on Him. He didn't turn the lepers away. I mean, as a, being a Jewish man, just by them touching Him, He would become unclean. Yet He still, He, he laid hands on He touched them. The, the outcasts of society. The people that no one loved, he still loved. And he still let them come near and he touched them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible because I would love to see something like this happen today because I wanted to see how people would react. I wonder how much of the story we actually don't see. But do you remember when the guys, uh, Jesus was preaching and there was the paralytic guy who couldn't get in so they, they ripped a hole in the roof of the guy's house 
and dropped them in there. And Jesus doesn't say, you guys see what you just did? You had no respect for this person's property. Get out of here. No, he healed the guy. He, he healed the guy after, I mean, what would like, I wonder what I would say if someone threw a rock through my window to get somebody in here to the church. You know, someone would have to remind me, hey, remember that story? Because I probably wouldn't be the pastor you guys imagined me to be if somebody did something like that. But the truth is, is that, that God just, Jesus just loved people. And he only did what he saw the Father doing. Another one of my favorite stories with Jesus is when Lazarus was, was dead in the tomb and, and they came to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick, come see him. And Jesus is like, I oh, don't worry about it. And he, he actually waits even longer before he goes back there. He wanted to make sure that Lazarus was good and dead by the time he got there. And you guys laugh, but that's the truth. That's, I believe that 100%. He wanted to make sure there was no doubt that Lazarus, because they, they, in the King James Version, when they get there, he says, roll away the stone. And it says, but Lord, he stinketh. He, he, he was dead along three days, I think, at that point. And then, and then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. But even before that all happened, you know, the, they come up to him and say, Lord, if you were here, if you were just here, you could have healed my brother. He would, if you were just here. And then Jesus begins to weep. As he looks around, he sees everybody hurting. He see, and he begins to weep. And it's not like in a moment he went, oh, wait, I know. I'll bring him back from the dead. That'll fix everything. Jesus knew what he was going to do. That's why he stayed longer. He wanted to make sure that there was no doubt it was the power of God that raised Lazarus from the dead. But he still weeped. Why did he weep if he knew he was going to live? He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He was weeping because everybody around him was hurting. God cared about people. He cared about their pain, and he cares about us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is who we're supposed to be imitating is Jesus. When other people hurt, we should hurt. When we see people that are lost, our heart should go out to them. Even if they're the unlovables, even if they're what this world considers unworthy, even if they've done terrible things. Because the truth is, we've all done stupid stuff. And the reality is, is that even if we've never done anything as terrible as going to a nightclub and shoot the place up, no matter what sin you've committed was enough to keep you from being right with God. So he sent his son. And he did that for everybody out there. In Matthew 9, 36-38, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, Jesus showed us how, and then he pointed out that there's people that the, all over the place that need him. The harvest is plentiful. And this is a, a tough one for me because... It seems like every time I talk to somebody, they're rejecting me and they're turning me away when the reality is they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus. That's something to keep in mind when you're speaking to people. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. But it just seems like, especially in this country, that nobody wants to hear it. But I guess it's always seemed like that. But the truth is, is there's people that don't want to hear it now but need to hear it, and one day they'll give their life. One day they'll change. Jesus said that he, was, he had compassion for the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
You know, we're constantly referred to in the scripture as sheep. And it's kind of an insult. Because <laughs> the truth is, is that sheep can't do anything on their own. When they want to load sheep into a truck, they use what's known as a scapegoat or the, the Judas goat. They, they take in, and uh, the Judas goat, they, they get the, the goat to go into the, to the trailer. And right before he gets to the door, they have him go out a side door, but all the sheep just keep on going in because they're just following the crowd. They're just doing whatever. They're, they're swayed by anything. They need something to follow. And Jesus said he had compassion on the harassed and the helpless sheep without a shepherd. You know what happens to sheep without a shepherd? Two things. One, they just get killed. Or two, they're led astray, but they'll follow anything else or led astray by other things. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's so many people out there that are, that are being led astray or, or they're just lost. And they want hope. And they want to be loved. And we have that to share with them. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One, this is a prayer that we should all be praying on a regular basis. Praying for people to go into the harvest field. But I want to warn you right now that if you're not serious about this, don't pray this prayer. Because the reality is, is the first answer to this prayer is going to be you. When you say, Lord, send, send workers into the harvest field, it says, all right, Go. That's what he'll say to you. You will answer your own prayer. But we need people to go out into the world and, and share with them. In John 4.35 it says, Do not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for a harvest. A sea of people hurting. A sea of people that need help. A sea of people that are hungry for the gospel, even if they don't know it. And he says, do not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This seems to go in the face of what we see right now, but the reality is, is that the fields are ripe for harvest right now. There are people that need his love. They need his hope. They need, they need someone to just tell them, to invite them, to, to have the courage to not care what people around them think and just say, hey, did you know that God loves you? And as a church, we need to see people the same way. We're not waiting for some moment in time. We're not waiting to be ready. We're not waiting for a few months when it seems like people will be prepared. We need to do it now and share. And that today as we talk about this is the culture of a church. As a church, we're going to continue to do things regularly. We're going to be doing something for the Halloween. We're going to be teaming up with the church around the corner and we're going to, and, the, and the businesses. And we're going to do a, a big trunk or treat and we're going to just be a blessing to this community. But individually, it's not just corporately as a church. We need to do it individually as well to share with others. Matter of fact, that's how we're going to be the most successful at evangelizing the loss is individually sharing with people because people are much more likely to receive it from somebody they know, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, than they are from somebody off the street. The truth is, the reason why we don't do a whole lot of knocking on doors is because it's not terribly effective, particularly with a lot of the cults and different things have kind of made that a very ineffective ministry. But we still do it from time to time. And we've had the opportunity to pray for people. Even when it seems like it's not going to be effective, we've still had the opportunity to touch people's lives, to plant seeds and pray with people. The people of this world are hungry for hope. 
And as Christians, we are in the unique position to offer to them. Jesus is the only hope. The government can't do it. Even if the government was doing everything right, they couldn't do it. They can't offer hope. The different, different things and different uh, uh, societies and programs in this, they can't do it. Only Jesus can give them hope. Only Jesus can make a difference. Everything else is temporary. You know, the, the food bank can provide uh, food for a month or, or however long that lasts. I don't, there's no way that lasts a month. We've actually been down there packing up those bags, and they, there's not that much in them. It's like, a, I don't know, the, the, once it's all done and wrapped up tight, it's like yay big, and that's what they get a month. It's a few cans and stuff, and they can't, that can't provide hope. That might get them limping along through a little bit more. Jesus can provide hope. It's the only thing that can make a difference. And that's even if the food situation doesn't change, you can still have hope, amen? And we need to understand that we're running out of time, too. Luke 13, 6-9 says, And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir... Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear up fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. See, this is, this is a, a parable referring to those people that just don't want to hear, that just don't want to listen. And we probably all know people like this. People in our family, people who are friends, people we, we've shared with. And it's like they just won't hear it. They don't want to hear anything. But the reality is we need to not give up on them. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the will of God, that all would reach repentance. And God is being patient with this world. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet, because there are still people who need to hear the gospel. There are still people who need to receive what He has for them. And in this story, the vine dresser argues for more time. He says, no, I know that there's no fruit being produced. I know nothing's changed. But, but go ahead and, and give me one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me put manure in there. And that, that's, that's a, an analogy. We're not actually supposed to, to, to do that to people. What it means is to invest into them, to share into them, to give them something that can bring them life. He says, don't give up. Let, let me have time. And we need to do the same thing, to continue pressing forward, to not give up on people. Even people that, I mean, if you work with somebody, keep being a witness. Sometimes that means actually speaking to them. Sometimes that just means living your life and letting them see what a godly life looks like. But don't give up. Keep sharing. Keep waiting for that opportunity. Every time I think stuff like this, I, I keep wondering, what if somebody would have given up on me? Pastor Mike, before uh, I finally just gave my life full to the Lord for years, was trying to get me to come to stuff, men's meetings and, and, and to church and all kinds of stuff. He, he was always trying. And I kept pushing him back and, and rejecting him. What if he wouldn't have kept on? What if he wouldn't have kept on? Uh, I wouldn't be here today. Or even before that, I had the gospel shared with me many times. And I would, I, would, I would give my life and then walk away. I would backslide. And, and what if people kept stopped sharing? What if people wouldn't have kept persisting? What if my mom would have stopped praying? 
because I was a lost cause. I'm so glad that they didn't. And then I finally had the opportunity, or finally took advantage of the many opportunities I've been given to give my life fully to Him. And I realized the Scripture says we don't throw our, our, our pearls before swine. What that means is don't, don't stand there wasting your breath. If somebody doesn't want to hear it, arguing with them is not going to do the trick. But it doesn't mean you walk away and, and you forget about it. It means you walk away and you pray for them. And you hope that somebody else would plant a seed. You pray that this seed will produce fruit at some point. And we don't irritate them. And we just love them. We don't give up. We need to take a page from this guy's book. For the last three years, he was watering. He was making sure it was tended. And nothing was happening. But he doesn't stop. He said, you know what? Let me go the extra mile. Let me have a little more time. And I think as a church, we need to make sure that we're going the extra mile as well. That we don't give up on a city, on a world that seems to be falling apart. On a, on a world that seems like, a country that seems like it's not worth saving. But the truth is, is that the people in it are. God loves them. And the reality is, is that we're not, we're running out of time. I started a second ago and I read 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10, right? The, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You know, there is a slowness, not as we count slowness, because God's being patient. But verse 10 says two important things. One, the day of the Lord will come. It is coming. The, the people are running out of time, and if, if we're not sharing with them, what if they don't make it because we lacked the courage to share with them? And the truth is, is we think that we're always going to have time but we're not one. This world is coming to an end. I don't, will it be in our generation? I don't know. Matter of fact, the only thing I can be certain of is if anybody tells you when it's going to happen, that's when it won't happen. Because the Scripture says He's coming like a thief in a night. No one knows the day or age. But I do know there's been times in my life where I've had friends where I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want to press the issue. I didn't want to do those things. I had a friend of mine. His name was Jamie. And... Uh, I found out some years later, I used to work with him when I was in, in high school. I worked in a restaurant called JB's, and dude was not a Christian. And uh, we were friends for a long time, and, and I was always scared to share. Would I offend him? Would I bother him? You know, I, I didn't want to be that person. But then he committed suicide. And I don't know what happened in the last moments. I pray that, that he called out to Jesus, that he called out to God. But I know that I lost my opportunity. I was too late to share and I don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to be too late to share with somebody. I don't want to be the reason. It's like the, the Lazarus and the rich man. You know, the rich man was saying, hey, you know, send somebody back to tell my brothers. Have somebody go tell them. I don't want to be the one that, that because I didn't, someone didn't have the opportunity. Because they want to hear. Amen? 
In Luke 15, 3 through 7, it says, So he told them this parable, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. See, this is the parable Jesus begins to speak because uh, the verses right before this, basically the Pharisees are, are throwing a fit because he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And uh, these are the people that didn't love God that he was hanging out with. These are the people that Jesus focused on. They didn't love God. They weren't following him. They were lost. And Jesus focused on them. He wanted to share with them because he, he knew that they needed a physician. And the Pharisees are getting all uppity about who he's spending his time with. How can you spend time with those people? And he begins to tell this parable about the, about the sheep. And we begin to see a picture. Because I, I love that God, uh, when he speaks to us, that the, 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 the gospel is not difficult. The gospel is not hard to understand. And he, he, he lays stuff out on us for ways that we can get. And even if we've never kept sheep, we can still understand what he's talking about here. He says, a man has 99 sheep. And he goes after one that is lost until he finds it. And Jesus is saying, you know what? God has you guys. I'm going after the ones that are lost. That's who we're supposed to be going after, those who are lost. And he says, and when he finally finds it, he comes home and he calls all his friends and he rejoices. You know, when I got saved, there was rejoicing in heaven. I know you don't believe it, Cliff, but there was. They rejoiced. And when you were saved, there was rejoicing in heaven. Anyone's found it. The people out there are just waiting to hear it because they're valuable and, and we need to rejoice with them. And every single one of them is important. The, the story here, you get the idea is that he's, he's got the 99, but he's willing to use all his time and his resources to reach the one that is lost, to bring him home, to pull him back in. And as a church and individually, we should have the same mentality and idea inside of us that we will spend all of our resources to bring in those who are lost. It's not the programs in our church that are important. You know, and we, we want to have those things. We want to, to, to be a community and a family. But our ultimate goal always, and the goal of all of these programs, is to reach the lost, those who, are, who, who need to be pulled back in. And God loves the men and women of this world so much. And every single one is important to Him. And every single one is worth setting everything else aside to go hunting for Him. You are worth setting everything aside to go hunting for you. And as a church, we should resolve to do the same thing. And he goes on, and Luke 15, 8 through 10, it says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is before the angels of God over one there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just in case the sheep thing didn't resonate with you, I know money resonates with you. Because we need it in this world, right? And the real, I, I remember a couple of Christmases ago, I, I put all my, I'd been given some gifts and I put it all in an envelope and I think I stuck it back on the tree and we lost the, the envelope, just disappeared. I don't even remember to this day we ever found that envelope. But I can tell you what, I hunted high and low for that thing. And it's not because I didn't have, have some more money elsewhere. And alas, there was no rejoicing when I found it, because I never did. But you can bet I looked for it. 
And this, that's the, the same attitude, the same resolve we should have for the loss of this world. I remember uh, one time when I pulled out my letterman jacket that I hadn't worn for years. From when I was in high school, it probably was 10 years later, and I, I put it on, and, and uh, it still fit. And I stuck my, so there was rejoicing for that, but then I stuck my hand in my, my pockets, and I, yeah, that just means I was big in high school too. So, but I reached my hand in my pocket, and I pulled out, a, there was a $20 bill in there. How awesome was that? It was lost, and now it was found. And that's, I mean, but that's the same thing when, when people come, when we see people get saved, it should inspire in us a joy that, that, that compares to almost nothing else. And then that should spur us on to go and share. And we'll end here today. In Romans 10, 11 through 15, it says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Everyone has the opportunity, the same opportunity that we have to, to, to be saved, to be made brand new, to be pulled from the bondage of sin and shame and death and placed into His glorious light and given a new life. Every one of us has that opportunity. But we have to hear the gospel. We have to hear about it to, to be able to act on that opportunity. We have to know that God loves us and that Jesus died for us, for us to, to call on Him and and. and and receive that free gift of salvation. And the scripture says, how will they know? The good news is no one's put to shame, that it's for everybody. There's no one who puts their faith in, in, in Jesus that will ever be disappointed. Everybody has an opportunity. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on them whom they have never heard? It is our responsibility to share this gospel with others so that they can hear. It says, how are they to believe in him whom they never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's us, doing the work of an evangelism, evangelist, preaching the gospel and sharing with others. And for those we can't physically reach, how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's why we invest in missions. That's why we want to, to support others who are reaching places that we could never reach. In doing so, our sphere of influence is greatly increased. And we're making an impact, not only in Marana, but right now in Kurdistan of Iraq. And with all of those, um, the, the IDPs, the internally displaced people, those, those camps of just thousands of people are being reached by the, by the work that, that we're helping to do over there. And as a church, that's who we are. And as individuals in this church, that's who we are. We're people who share the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.